0: Welcome to The Greener Way Podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. Welcome to The Greener Way Podcast. I'm your host and managing editor of FS Sustainability, Rachel Alambakis. In this episode, brought to you by BNP Paribas Asset Management, we'll be talking about stewardship and how issues that are specific to the Asia-Pacific region impact on investment considerations. Joining us for this conversation is BNP Paribas Asset Management, Head of Stewardship Asia-Pacific, Jane Ho. Jane, hello, and please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your role at BNP Paribas Asset Management.
1: Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me today. I'm the Head of Stewardship for APAC at BNP Paribas Asset Management, and so that means that I lead the firm's stewardship activities in the region. So taking a step back on what stewardship is, Is really to us using our influence as investors to impact companies and the real economy. That means that we, as active owners, use various tools to improve the ESG practices and sustainability outcomes to strengthen the long-term value of our investment, and ultimately for the benefit of our clients and beneficiaries. And as you know, Rachel, stewardship is one of the key pillars in our global sustainability strategy, alongside ESG integration and our responsible business conduct policies, so it's so very critical to what we do at BNP Paribas Asset Management. So maybe just mentioning some of the key tools that we use as well. Um, mm-hmm. These would be voting, and that's over equity uh, issuers, um, engagement uh, with corporates. Um, this would be both on a bilateral basis where we are engaging one-on-one with the companies, or on a collaborative basis where we're engaging and coming together with a group of other like-minded investors to engage with the corporates. And last but not least, uh, public policy advocacy as well. So as you can see, my work is uh, very mm-hmm. wide ranging. Um, and 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 so it really ranges from uh, executing the voting in the region, um, using uh, Asia-Pacific specific policies, um, to representing BNP Paribas as management and in, uh, key investor networks and initiatives um, such as Climate Action 100 Plus and mm-hmm.
0: others that I'm sure we'll go into later on. Fantastic. Look, we love to ground ourselves in principles first for our listeners, Jane. So I'm glad we could start off with a foundation and with good, clear (laughs) definitions. Um, So what are the key issues and the nuances of stewardship within the APAC region? Uh, Those are four little letters, but they cover such an amazingly diverse set of economies and communities and ecosystems.
1: Yeah, most definitely, Rachel. I think um, climate is definitely a critical one. Um, Mm -hmm. for the Asia-Pacific region if we're going to reach our climate targets globally um, because we account for half of global emissions. But as you mentioned, it's a very diverse region and many of the countries that we're talking about are emerging markets and growing as well. So Mm -hmm. we need to make sure that we're transitioning with these factors in mind. We have emerging markets, developed markets in this region, including Australia, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, under under my coverage. Um, So very different sets of climate risks and opportunities as well. Um, So whether, you know, geographically, endowment of renewable energy, susceptibility to physical risk. Um, So I think what this really means is that to be able to be inclusive and constructive in my work, really need to understand the country and the context that we're operating in. So that might be the different um, nationally determined contributions. And again, that's the commitments that um, the nations are making at a national level so that you know, you might have heard about China's thirty sixty. 60 um, That's mm-hmm. China's commitment to carbon peak by 2030 um, and to be carbon neutral by 2060. Malaysia has committed to net zero by 2050. And again, each country can have its own timeline, whether um, it's Indonesia, 2060, etc. Um, mm-hmm. So really understanding that and where the companies that I'm talking to sit um, and the context they're in is critically important. Mm. So just to directly answer your question in terms of what are the nuances of engagement in this region? So aside from understanding that context and all those differences, I think that's obviously language. (laughs) Um, So so that's the language and, and how people want to communicate might be different. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the type of companies in the regions, there's lots of state-owned entities, as you know, um, Mm -hmm. so very closely linked to national policy. And of course, that's the cultural element as well. So one example, being an Asian myself, is that I know that in terms of setting targets, and we have a relatively conservative culture. So the companies that I speak to, many of them want to have the exact mapping in place on how exactly they're going to get there before making those commitments and targets publicly. So it's really understanding those internal barriers because, you know, being a global investor, so I see that the approach could be different um, elsewhere. You know, setting, it could be in reverse, setting that net zero target first, and then setting everything and all the engines in motion and figuring out how we're going to get there. So understanding some of these are critically important in order to ha- us for us to have a constructive dialogue with the companies. And I think some of the things that work really well as well in the region is sharing best practice uh, with Asian companies. So we're very fortunate to be in a position to have a lot of global best practice um, being developed out of Europe and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And sharing those is always very much appreciated. Going back to that cultural context, I think having local investors involved in some of these uh, collaborative engagements is very critical as well to make Mm -hmm. sure that, um, you know, we're supporting the company and engaging with them in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, of course, I don't want to leave out that ultimately similar to other engagements that take place globally. I think the importance of you know having that careful preparation and solid understanding of the issues, um, it is the most critical part of engagement as well. Um, and, and as I mentioned, public policy as well, uh very closely tied to this. Um, and I think the second part of your question is uh what are the key issues? So I think climate is I already mentioned is. Likely mm-hmm. the most critical, um, APAC being the largest, con- uh, you know, contributor as a region, and of course, power generation within that, because uh, power generation accounts for around forty percent of APAC's uh, GHG emissions, um, mm-hmm. and then physical risk um, as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, an, an aside uh, as a kind of subtopic with, with with reference to climate and the necessary adaptation that needs to take place. I mean, we've seen a lot of these natural disasters over the papers. Um, You know, I'm from Hong Kong, like, you know, Mm -hmm. recently seeing that effect um, landslides, flooding, et cetera, from the black rain. I mean, clearly, you know, there's just a lot more that needs to be done. And then the other topics, of course, are nature um, Mm. with Indonesia and Malaysia being the largest producers of palm globally and also deforestation.
0: Oh, look, just a just a short list of issues that are critical for this region, Jane. Exactly. And look, I, we're gonna—I think we're gonna explore. I'd like to ask you in a little bit more nuance later in the conversation about that sort of dynamic tension between just and transition. How that you, particularly within the APAC region. But before we get to that particular nuance, I'd really like to ask you: Do you view stewardship as a fiduciary obligation or an investment opportunity?
1: At BNP Paribas, Asset management, mm-hmm. we view it as both an obligation mm-hmm. and an opportunity. So mm-hmm. firstly, why an obligation? Because we have the fiduciary duty to act in the best long-term interests of our beneficiaries. And we are the stewards of their capital that, that they entrust in our care. So mm-hmm. we believe that stewardship can lead to better long-term sustainable returns. And that's why we, we, we consider it an obligation. Um, opportunities, I think it's much easier to relate to. Because how a company responds to the challenges of, you know, climate change and other sustainability issues could be very mm-hmm. key to its bottom line. I think that's, that, that's very clear now. Um, you know, whether it's future proving the companies that, that, that's in high emitting sectors um, or in others, right, where you're seizing the opportunity to be the first movers. And, and mm-hmm. as we know, these kind of issue permeates the whole economy. So it's not about specific sectors everywhere. Whether you're a consumer goods company and, you know, having the first mover at advantage in some green products or whether you're a Tesla, where you're like reinventing your sector. I think it's very clear that, it, it, you know, we see a lot of opportunities in the um, transition
0: do you view balancing the S and the E in ESG and stewardship? Um, you know, you and I've had previous conversations and I've heard you speak publicly about the just transition and what that means from an APAC perspective. So how do you weave in those very specific economic and cultural issues when we're talking about weighing up social and environmental issues?
1: Yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time um, on the climate issue specifically. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, just transition is really doing um, the energy transition in a way mm-hmm. that is just and fair and leaving no one behind. Sorry, my definition's again there.
0: Um, <laughs> Look, but- <clears throat> again, we love we love a grounding in a straight in a straightforward definition here at The Greener Way. Jane, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> so really, it's about balancing, as you say, the
1: um, E and S parts as when we talk about energy transition. And of course, that's critical in emerging markets. Um, When we talk about the power system, um, we say that there's an energy trilemma. And really, I I think policymakers in this region don't have it easy. But Mm. what what that means is that there are three problems that policymakers and others working on this topic really need to uh, ensure balance. And that's energy security, energy affordability, and also the sustainability, obviously, Mm -hmm. of that energy. So, I mean, obviously... We can bring in renewable energy, but we know that sometimes it's intermittent. Um, We know that some parts of emerging markets don't have access and steady and secure access to electricity right now. So it's about balancing all those things. And it really requires kind of national planning in conjunction with other stakeholders. And that's very much why policy um, engagement is a very large part of my work and increasing. And it's, of course, not not only just about um, the power system. It's about other aspects, too. So one being, for example, another example I can give is uh, on the palm sector.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: as you know, the EU deforestation regulation is quickly coming in, which means that uh, any products that cannot uh, show and having had the you know proper due diligence to show that um, they don't have any uh, kind of uh, ingredients mm-hmm. that are um, you know uh, ha- may have been uh, related to deforestation will be banned mm-hmm. right from the EU. And, and that will have a wider impact much beyond the EU borders, of course. Mm-hmm. And that could have impact on smallholders in Indonesia and Malaysia. So it's about how we are going to support those smallholders to change their practices as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I think really that this ENS mainly, I think, uh, is, is very clear, key to, um you know, when we talk about the energy transition and power systems, but it really permeates um, other aspects as well.
0: We're having this conversation, Jane, at a really busy time of year. Um, there's Climate Week in, you know, depending uh, depending on where you are in the calendar where you're listening to this episode. There's Climate Week and the United Nations General Assembly. There's COP28 in Dubai. There's the release of the TNFD, the Task Force for Nature Related Financial Disclosures. Um, and I'd really like to get into that biodiversity aspect as well, because as complicated as climate is, you know, there's sort of a factorial level of of complication around biodiversity. You know, can we use this conversation about deforestation, Jane, to talk about maybe the stewardship elements of biodiversity and the APAC region as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's biodiversity and it's really nature. So um, Mm. uh, as you say, a lot of things coming up. So um, I'm actually co-chairing the Asia Investor Group on Climate Change, Forest and Land Use Working Group. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's increasing interest in this area. And investors increasingly recognize that if they're going to make their climate commitments, then they need to pay attention to deforestation and nature, mm. because we're not mm-hmm. going to get there from a, in terms of our climate targets if we, you know, if we neglect that aspect, which is very critical. So there's a lot of work um, on the ground in terms of capacity building um, and having um, investors incorporate these into their practices. Um, but also from an engagement perspective, I want to mention that Nature Action 100 is uh, an initiative that is modelled upon Climate Action 100. That is investor led and is, mm-hmm. uh, sh- has, has launched already, but we'll be shortly announcing the list of companies and, you know, starting engagement with those lists of companies. Um, so we've already also identified the six key investor expectations from, from this initiative. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, you know, about asking the companies to have the ambition to set those Targets having that assessment in terms of then disclosing those nature related dependencies, impacts, risks and opportunities, setting Mm -hmm. those time bound targets, and then implementing how they're going Mm -hmm. to, you know, make sure that they're not destroying nature. So that's some work that um, BNP Paribas Asset Management has been steering at a global level, and we're very excited Mm -hmm. and looking forward to that. And that would have coverage over emerging markets as well, Mm -hmm. Um, and focusing initially on on eight sectors. Um, So I think. The, the work um, is is a lot of investors, especially in this region, have firstly started with climate.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: I think there's a realisation that nature is a critical part of that. And that's um, an increased focus for us. and And so very happy to see this work kick off.
0: And also an area where there's going to be a lot of quickly evolving legislation and regulation um, and differences from market to market and jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So a lot of one can foresee a lot of action coming around nature, conservation and biodiversity in the next couple of years, can't we?
1: Right. Absolutely. And of course, I just want to mention as well, the TNFD Task Force for Nature Financial Disclosure. That should be out shortly.
0: Well, by the time that this episode is released, it will be live and in the world, one can foresee. And so our our listeners can be uh, reading along with us, Jane, as we figure out uh, what the impact of the TNFD final standards are going to be. Right. So again, I'd like to ask Jane, how do you conceptualize the role that investors can play? Because we're talking about, you know, A, the big issues, climate, biodiversity, just transition, community. Um, there's, you know, the companies themselves, there's investors, there's coalitions of investors, and then there's government. Um, how do you see the role of pri- of investors like BNP Paribas Asset Management fitting into this ecosystem of money and finance?
1: I think finance obviously is critical in in Mm -hmm. the whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we we are active owners, uh, so Mm -hmm. we want to be uh, very much part of that whole ecosystem. So I think it's critical that we act as um, a key. We are a key stakeholders as investors, but we Mm -hmm. also want to partner with other stakeholders. Um, To ensure, again, that um, just transition element that, you know, Mm. every aspect is taken into account. I mean, if we neglect and leave people behind, I think the outcome won't be sustainable. So maybe Mm. I'll use this opportunity as well to talk a little bit more about policy engagement, which I kind of alluded to, um, Mm. but really is an increasing part um, of my work. Mm. So, of course, public policy is very critical uh, for investors because it really defines the rules that capital markets operate. And it really signals and incentivizes the flow of capital across the global economy, especially when the benefits of the investment actually doesn't just go to one market actor, but across the global economy and society. So Mm -hmm. I'm increasingly spending more time with policymakers to advocate for legislation, regulation standards that foster sustainable equity development and, and address the systemic risks and market failures. So recently, the Investor Agenda, um, some mm-hmm. of our listeners may be familiar with it, but, you know, uh, the, the, it involves kind of um, the Asian Investor Group on Climate Change, UNPRI and UNIFI as well. Um, mm-hmm. Really recently brought out some policy recommendations that I found very helpful to help with engagement policymakers, you know, asking them for best practice, such as having the commitment, um, setting short, medium and long term target at a national level. And having the interministerial coordination on climate policy, I think, is really critical as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so doing those kind of engagement with policymakers, whether that's through roundtables with policymakers with all stakeholders, um, and and I think you know that uh, the UNPRI gathering um, in October will again be another opportunity for us to do that. Mm-hmm. Different government agencies and invest uh, looking at the you know the transition bonds that are coming out in Japan. Um, So sovereign engagement will increasingly be part of our work as well. So that's engaging with the sovereign issuers um, as a debt holder. So so that's been ongoing, actually, uh, with the UNPRI um, in Australia uh, and has Mm -hmm. been quite effective. um, Mm -hmm. And and we're looking to kind of bring that
0: uh,
1: to other jurisdictions as well.
0: Oh, the work always gets deeper and broader, doesn't it, Jane? Um, exactly. As we come to our time together, Jane, um, I'd like to ask you a question. What gives you hope about the future and what gets you up in the morning to do your job? Wow, well,
1: that's, that's a great question, Rachel. <laughs> um, look, I think w- I, what gives me hope is that there are so many people working and aware of these issues now. I mean, the first step is awareness. I think we've crossed that, pros- that threshold, mm-hmm. particularly in Asia, right? where we Mm -hmm. have seen those national um, commitments and the direction of travel is very clear in terms of where we need to go is about the implementation and the execution now. That's at a national level and at a corporate level. So what what really gives me hope is that we have that direction. We we, We are maybe at different paces and we have different starting points. That's understandable. But having that um, direction of travel and having all those uh, stakeholders being very keen to engage. And I, I mean, policymakers are keen to engage and want to hear mm-hmm. what investors are saying. And so civil society, and we're giving voice to civil society. So as a having, and the partnerships as well that we have with other investors and, 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 and that I work together very closely on um, you know, collaborative engagements, I consider them as um, my extended colleagues really, so having that collaborative effort um, really inspires me. And of course, as you know, sustainability is always evolving day to day. So having that, those new changes and new things and I'm always learning as well from others and i very happy to share um, you know, my thoughts and that, that, that's what really um, gets me going because it's never the same any day. <laughs>
0: Thank you, Jane. We've been talking with Jane Ho. This episode was brought to you by BNP Paraba Asset Management. Thank you and join us again. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you liked today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel allen Backus.
2: The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian financial service license and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fsustainability.com.au